Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 159. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. This week, I have a new exciting announcement. We have a new co-host from Next Step Test Prep. We have Phil, who has been on the team for a long time, who has worked closely with both Brian and Clara, our former co-hosts. And I'm excited to bring Phil on today. We're going to introduce Phil and his background, and then we're going to talk about MCAT overload. I'm excited this week to have a new co-host of the MCAT podcast, someone who has been on the pre-mid years before sharing his knowledge, the almost Dr. Phil, <laughs> the the other almost Dr. Phil on the podcast. Phil, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Having an awesome, awesome day. I'm excited to to have you to myself now for the MCAT podcast. Clara has uh, moved on to to other adventures in her life and is no longer at Next Step. And so we have you and uh, I'm excited for that. I think you crushed it on pre-med years episode 336 talking about kind of some improving memory and how to crush psych social. I think your your stat at that time was like 20% of your tutoring students aced like 132 on psych soch. That's pretty crazy. So I want to uh, to start this episode before we jump into the the actual topic of kind of the overload and overwhelm of the MCAT and, and give a little bit of a backstory of who you are in this world, your role at Next Step and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Love to kind of jump in, especially given the history. I feel like I know Brian and Clara both so well because mm-hmm. um, we were in, you know, like talking like literally two or three times a week, every week for years um, on the content team. But uh, yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I went to the University of Nebraska Med Center, as you hinted, you know, almost finished <laughs> almost. med school. Yep. Yeah. I actually left in the second year. Um, I went to med school because I wanted to teach and do kind of like the, you know, the education side of things. I actually don't really like 
the clinical side as much or even the research side, as much as I like looking into research and talking about research, I just get excited to talk to other people about their research. And then I want to regurgitate that to other people. I don't, I don't want to be the guy with the test tubes and the pipettes. Um, but yeah. And so I'm one of the guys that helped write and edit and put together a lot of the materials uh, here at Next Step, even way back, um, you know, when the new MCAT came out, back when we had our very first book and first couple of exams. Um, currently, I'm working a lot more just with students and kind of the student facing side. So anybody who takes a course at Next Step, I'm the guy that does 80% uh, of the office hours. Um, Rylan covers for me currently on Mondays, but any all the other days, it's me. Um, that just kind of like scratches the itch of getting to talk to students about all sorts of different things. Um, I think I mentioned this before. I was an MD PhD student also. So definitely into the research side of things. You were joking about Dr. Phil. Um, <laughs> I like didn't, I definitely didn't want to be associated with Dr. Phil when I was in med school. So I was like, I'm going to change my name to goose. And then everyone, when I'm an MD PhD, will call me doc, doc goose. And so like that, to be, you know, I, I wanted to like, somehow get away from the Dr. Phil sort of thing, um, dance off into the side. That's pretty yeah. funny. I, I listened to a good podcast episode with Dr. Phil and his backstory is a lot more interesting than I thought it was. So I got to give, give props to Dr. Phil. I like him. Yeah. So we are um, now on to a lot of episodes of the MCAT podcast. And so another new voice, third voice here on the podcast from next step. And so I think we can now start to uh, have some adventures on kind of what we talk about and we don't have to follow the same format anymore and we can kind of do whatever we want. So if you're listening to this and you have any suggestions on how we can improve the MCAT podcast, I would love to hear from you. Just email me ryan at medicalschoolhq.net and uh, we can, Phil and I can hopefully... Uh, improve this podcast. So Phil, today we wanted to talk about kind of just the overwhelm of the MCAT and the information that is needed. And it's interesting actually that we're recording this because the old pre-meds episode that I recorded today that's also going out the same day that this episode is going out is kind of around that overwhelm. The student was asking like, look, I'm, I'm doing a two-year post-back, but I don't want to take a, a glide year after my post-back. So I'm going to have to need to take the MCAT like only after a year of my post-back, but half of my classes I'm not going to do. And that, that's part of the overwhelm, right? There's just so many classes that go into this MCAT uh, preparation that it's like, how am I supposed to do so well whether I'm a traditional student taking it um, kind of after my junior year or a non-traditional student trying to figure out how I can not take any extra years to study for it after I finish a post-bac. How's a, sp a student supposed to kind of figure all of this stuff out? You're absolutely correct. Like the, the overwhelm, the avalanche, like drinking from the fire hose, which is mm. the common example people talk about with med school, that, that is the, you know, not necessarily just the MCAT, but the med school challenge. Um, I don't think it's any secret. I love to talk about the MCAT. Like I, I honestly, like my friends who are even not related to the MCAT get annoyed sometimes because I like at a party, I'm like, this is the thing I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> I think that it's it's a really clever test for like what it's trying to do and what it's trying to test because ultimately the idea is you take the MCAT and it tells the you know the med schools 
how good of a doctor you're going to be, how well you're going to be able to succeed in med school. And that, that like overwhelming info that people come up across in with like the MCAT, like that's just going to continue on as you go into med school. And so they want to see who can deal with too much information. And it really is too much. It's just an, an annoying amount of information. Um, but if you're used to like an undergrad, you take a physics test and you know the test that's coming is going to be on projectile motion. You know there's going to be a question where you like shoot something up into the air or off of a building or you shoot something up on top of a building or something. At a 45 uh, degree angle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know exactly what's going to show up. Yep. Um, the MCAT is so wide that it's everything from fluid dynamics to Kohlberg stages of moral reasoning to organic chemistry and metabolism stuff. And it's, it's, it's a very big pool of info. And being able to deal with that is a challenge. Um, I feel like I just confirmed like, yes, it's a problem. It's really all of, <laughs> all of what I just yeah. went through there. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. So uh, I, I know Brian had a, a famous quote that he probably stole from someone else that the MCAT is, is a mile wide and an inch deep, but you don't have to know as much like you would know for your undergraduate tests and classes, but yeah, it, it's going to cover everything. You just have to know a lot about a little or a little about a lot. I forget. Which, I, I think, which yeah, one. I think you're, you're absolutely correct, but it's, it's more understanding in my mind, at least in biochem, like you might have had a question, like what's the third enzyme of Krebs cycle and like what draw the seventh intermediate of the pentose phosphate pathway. And that's not going to show up on the MCAT. Like you're not, you're not going to be asked to like have this like huge rote memorization, but you do need to understand the principles. I think in some ways, like it's absolutely true where you don't need to go as deep, but you need to understand the fundamentals. And that's actually a big shift. And a lot of times in undergrad, you can get rewarded for just memorizing something, even if you don't understand it. Yeah. But because the way the MCAT tests something is they come at it from weird angles and you don't actually have to have this memorized. But if you understand like what a phosphatase is, all of a sudden you can like pick out the right answer, even if you have no idea what's going on in the pathway that they're talking about overall. Um, and I think just students... How yeah. is a student supposed to understand their understanding of like how are they supposed to judge their understanding of something? Because it's the what we recommend, right? You take a practice test and you spend a ton of time reviewing, and it's like, okay, I missed this fact and this fact and this fact. When when does that switch go off to go, oh, I don't understand this, not I don't know it? Yeah. And that's like, you, you kind of hit like taking practice exams and kind of getting the feedback from that of kind of like telling you like what's when something kind of come, comes across your bow and you're not sure of what that was. Um, but it's also kind of even, even if you knew what the question was, it's really useful. This is something I, I work with a lot of students because I do like some tutoring stuff also where the, a student, like they got the right answer, they knew something, but I kind of want to ask them, okay, is there any other way to answer this question? Like, especially if a student spent like two minutes or three minutes answering a question, like, yeah, they got the right answer, but there was probably another back door, like a faster way to kind of do this. That's one of my favorite things to do is like go through like even AAMC materials, like go through the exams, like in office hours and stuff. And I'm talking about like, okay, here's one way to answer this question. Here's a second way. Here's a third way. So there's like three different ways. And they're all kind of like built around this understanding. You don't have to be perfect. But you have to have some like strategies and kind of like going in and like looking for certain things. For example, chem phys, paying attention to the units goes 
an incredibly long ways. Um, it's a huge thing. There's there's a, a passage from an AAMC exam that like there's three calculation questions with the passage. All three of those calculations you can answer just by looking at the units and you don't need to know a single equation. <laughs> and it's like really dense, like electrostatics, magnetism stuff, but it did like you don't actually need to have the equations memorized as long as you know the units. Now, if you know the equations, perfect. That's great. But you also need to be able to like do this kind of side thing. And that's students are uncomfortable with that because in undergrad, if you take an exam and you come across something that you don't know and you haven't seen, that means you messed up, right? Like you, you have failed. If you come across an exam and they ask you like, what's a deals alder reaction? Like, I don't know what this is. Like, then you're in trouble. Um, but the MCAT, they expect you to come across stuff that you've never seen before. And that they're constantly kind of throwing this stuff at you, like a weird reaction, this this enzyme that like turns out only happens in like part of the liver. And like, it's not the main enzyme that happens in glycolysis, but it's this weird side enzyme. And so like, you've never read anything about it. You never heard of it, but being able to like cross boundaries. I also think like, this is, this is me on my educational high horse here. Um, a lot of times in undergrad, it, everything gets partitioned. Mm. And so people are thinking about redox reactions. They're thinking about going from ketones to an alcohol, right? Or uh, an aldehyde to a carboxylic acid. And they're not trying to tie that into any other sort of redox stuff. And there's, there's like, you know, assigning oxidation numbers. There's electrochemistry, which is the flow of electrons from like, you know, sodium to fluorine because fluorine really likes electrons and sodium really doesn't. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's technically redox. And, as a result, as people are learning stuff in undergrad, everything gets like highly partitioned and in their brains, like that kind of like separates and, and that makes it harder to do this kind of like coming at something from a different angle. Like if you have a passage about like a radiotherapy, a lot of students like you need to be thinking about light, right? Like electromagnetic radiation is light, but like in people, people's brains, those aren't the same thing. Like that's like a whole other branch. That's like talking about dogs and, you know, chicken salad sandwiches. Like they're completely unrelated. They probably should be. I hope they're unrelated. (laughs) Unless Uh, it's a low quality chicken salad that's made from dogs. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was saying. (laughs) When you feed to your dogs, I like that better. Okay. Um, (laughs) But yeah. And so I think that that's something that comes from exposure. The more exams you see, the more you kind of talk through stuff. And that that's one of the big challenges of the MCAT that is not talked about or not like necessarily appreciated because it's so different than what other people are doing. And so, and like, and just kind of like undergrad. And so having to have this big shift, it takes a while. Like if you, to go into like the BF Skinner, you were rewarded for coming at things in this like highly partitioned, just memorize things way. And then you go to the MCAT and all of a sudden, like that doesn't work anymore. And so you have to like throw your strategy in the trash. It's like, imagine that you, you played football and this like strategy worked really well. You know, I'm a big chiefs fan. Um, this strategy worked really well. And then you come across the team where this doesn't work anymore. And now you're just lost. Right. And so like having some, you know, some ability to kind of adapt and understand and come at things and see things from a bigger picture, which is tough. And exposure is, is kind of the key. It's one of the reasons that kind of regardless of where you come from, it, it takes a while to prep for the MCAT. There's nobody who takes the MCAT, you know, without studying, takes it cold and aces it. <laughs> um, There's always that random mythical story of that one student, my brother's cousin's first, right, whatever. Right. 
Uh, there, there are some savants out there that, that can do well, but that's not the yeah. norm. Um, what, what about for like this, the student that I led with a, a student who is trying to, to potentially take the MCAT before they're ready, right. Is, is in terms of classes, having taken the classes, uh, how is a student supposed to handle all of that information potentially without having the classes to back it up? Yeah. And so that's, there is something to that. Um, it's possible. Uh, I, I generally recommend that if you haven't taken one class, that's okay. Um, two classes starts to get a little bit hard. If you haven't taken physics at all or biochemistry or orgo, you're going to have a hard time because you're trying to learn all of this stuff from scratch, mm-hmm. um, at the same time. But if, if you need to prep for physics at the same time, um, you haven't taken any physics courses, I, it's totally doable. Um, it's also, you know, something kind of goes into there with like the weightedness of the number of questions you're going to expect to see. Um, for example, physics and orgo are actually pretty low yield in terms of the number of questions you're going to see compared to bio, biochemistry and psychology, which like catches people off guard all the time. They don't realize how high yield psych is. Um, and so, so that's something to also like factor in as well. If you haven't taken any bio courses or biochem, that's going to be a big hurdle because that's a much higher yield area. If you haven't taken a physics course or orgo, I think that's fine. If you haven't taken orgo too, honestly, perfectly fine. Um, all the orgo on the MCAT tends to be basically organic chemistry one. And like, I don't know if you need to know anything from organic <laughs> chemistry to, to do well on the MCAT, yeah. but having good strategies and, you know, we talked about this a little bit on, you know, the other podcast about memorization, because that's the thing that I like really like to talk about, because um, my PhD stuff was on learning and memory and Alzheimer's. There's a part of me that was terrified, like I'm learning so much stuff. What if I just forget it all? Right. Like, and so I'm like trying to figure out how to make that not happen. Um, and so I think that the kind of purge like, you know, like bring in a ton of facts and then purge it that happens a lot in undergrad that works. If there's, if you can cram all the information you need in a week and then you like take the test on Friday and then next week you forget it all, but that's fine. That works with smaller volumes. When you're dealing with huge, huge volumes of information that doesn't work anymore because like by the time you get to like the end of the stuff that you're trying to cram in, the beginning stuff is all fallen out. And so you want to kind of think about things in different ways, do practice questions going through that. I think practice questions are especially crucial for the chemistry and physics stuff. Cause I think the big challenge there is like, what do you do? Right. Mm-hmm. You get this question about a voltage, the answers are in volts and you're not sure like the, like, it, it, are, is this a question about capacitors? Is this a question about electrostatics? Is this a question about, um, you know, circuitry? And so students just see volts and they're like, I'm not sure what to do. Um, so you want to see lots of questions. And then when you see this question, you're like, what do I do here? And you figured it out because you've seen other questions kind of like that. And I think for chem phys, that's more important than maybe any other section. So I think it's real. All of my students that I work with, I really kind of like emphasize, like do lots of discrete questions, especially if you're kind of struggling where you see a question and then you get through it and then you feel good. There's actually a little bit of a dopamine reward, right? As you're answering the question, you got it right. There's a dopamine feedback. Your brain's like, hey, that was useful. Let's hold on to that equation because that like, gave me the dopamine thing, right? So you get addicted to answering questions. I don't know if that actually happens out there, but I yeah. like to imagine it does. <laughs> uh, there, 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 there's a, uh, a 
questions anonymous program for people who are addicts of answering questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that that works so much better for remembering things than if you're just staring at a flashcard mm-hmm. or staring at some definition or staring at just like a pile of equations. That's this stuff doesn't stick as well. And so trying to work with how your brain wants to work um, with kind of like rewards and like, oh, that was good. I like that. Do more of that. Um and just kind of thinking about that, because that's that's how the brain just just works in general. I think that's one of the the big challenges um, with you know with college and going to med school is that the strategies that work before don't work anymore just because of the volume. Yeah. And so you can force your brain to do something it doesn't really want to do for like a little while, but eventually your your brain just says, "Nope, not doing it." And so start <laughs> like learning to work with the brain rather than against it. Not doing it. Where's my ice cream? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, let's go play video games. Yeah. What's what's going on in the world of Borderlands? Um, and what's on Reddit? That's that's my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> Reddit is a very dangerous hole. I discovered Reddit in med school, and that was <laughs> bad. Uh, that was a mistake there. Okay. Uh, I still blame my friend who introduced me. What? So, wh- what about for a student who who potentially has to start earlier, right? And with all of the information that they have to know for the MCAT, by the time they're starting to prepare for it, they've already forgotten everything at the beginning. What do you have any? recommendations on on how to stay up with information that you learned a while ago for someone who has to spread out their study schedule yeah definitely spaced repetition um so if, if so you like anki have, is what people yeah, know right yeah anki everyone's familiar yeah. with that but um even like in our study planner tool that builds study planners for people um the idea is like you get you do like you read a chapter and then a couple weeks later they throw some quiz questions at you And then obviously practice exams are also doing this as well. This kind of like constant quizzing. I'm going to, so this is, this is one of the big mistakes students make prepping for the MCAT where they feel like they can't take a practice test until they've mastered all the content. Mm -hmm. And that's never going to happen. You're never going to feel like I know literally everything that anyone could ever ask about the kidney. Right. Like, cause it can go really deep. And I mentioned before that sometimes the MCAT will ask stuff and they don't expect you to know it right? They just expect you to be able to figure something out from it. Mm-hmm. And so students will hit this point where they feel like they have to know everything in order to take a practice test. But the practice test is kind of a, a portion of this kind of helping shine a spotlight on what stuff you want to brush up on, you know, kind of like, because there's a lot of students that feel like I really need to cover this area and it's my biggest weak area, but then it's actually not. Um, like students are traumatized by physics and orgo and they feel like I need to spend a month on organic chemistry, but it's, it's so low yield compared to what some of the other questions, you know, psych and bio and biochem. And so if you look at somebody's exam, like they've taken three exam and they've missed two orgo questions, they don't need to spend a lot of time studying orgo if they've also missed 15 biochem questions in those same exams. Mm -hmm. Um, and so using the exams as a diagnostic tool, I'm a very data driven person. I like to like, you know, yes, get that foundational stuff, but then start to practice and apply. And so you take some exams, they say, like the exams tell me that I need to go back and look at kidneys. I need to look at electrochemistry. I need to work on data interpretation. And so that's what I'm going to go do. And then I'm going to take another exam. And then that tells me what I need to go and hit rather than kind of going with the gut feelings. I have this very innate thing against 
guts and emotions, <laughs> like, you know, the feeling stuff. It's something like, honestly, it's probably an issue with me where I'm just kind of like very data driven in general. Um, but I think that it's, it works. And so that's, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. Right. At least in that aspect of my life. And then someone asked me how my day is going and I'm gonna be like, well, it's a 72%, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just kind of sidestep that. Um, yeah. Okay. Anything else about so much content and how to tackle it that we haven't talked about? No, I think having a strategy. Um, another thing that happens a lot is as students are prepping, like they'll have, they're like, I want to knock out physics. It feels really good to say I'm done with something. Right. And so students will want to be like, I'm going to do physics for a week and then biochem for a week or two and then bio and then orgo and then psych and then soch and then general chemistry and eventually get to the point where it's been two months, two and a half months, three months since you've seen physics mm. and you're not going to remember any of it. <laughs> and so this is why that kind of like space repetition, I really think it's really useful to mix things up. Don't don't do like just one topic and then power through it and then think that you're going to be done with it um, because stuff's going to kind of like fall through the cracks. And I wish that I could remember everything I read forever, always, but that's like the brain doesn't work that way. Stuff kind of falls out. You got to repick it up. Um, but you know, it's always easier to learn something the second, third or fourth time. And so you want to spread things out, do a little bit of physics, do a little bit of bio, psych, social, orgo kind of every week, and then kind of like work through it there. That also gives you the, you know, that space repetition where, you know, we, I talked about physics at the very beginning with like, you know, energy and Newton's. And then I had this question about electrostatics that is you know, like four weeks later, but it's also kind of hitting energy and Newton's and it's kind of like keeping that stuff fresh. It also helps you cross boundaries, which is what we kind of talked about at the very beginning is the idea that, you know, you need to be able to look at something like PET scans and radiotherapies as physics topics, as well as biology and chemistry topics. And so if you're kind of studying all of those things simultaneously, it tends to blur the lines between them, which is actually a good thing. Um, you want to be able to kind of think in terms of a biologist or a chemist or a chemist or a physicist, um, you know, depending on regardless of what the question is at and like what section you're in. A chemist. I think that's yeah, be a chemist. I like right. it. Yeah, I was thinking physicist while saying chemist. Yeah, so it's a chemist. All right. Well, first MCAT podcast under your belt. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about data analysis and kind of the importance in medicine. Um, so I'm excited to see what we can talk about there. And we have another great episode after that uh, about cars and, and potentially how to improve your car score. So lots of great stuff, Phil. Excited to have you on the MCAT podcast. Thanks for joining me today. All right, there you have it. Again, Phil from Next Step Test Prep talking about MCAT overload, talking about his background and as he mentioned, he is the the tutor that is going to be there 80% of the time, right? Four out of the five days if you sign up for the MCAT course from Next Step Test Prep. And so you can use the promo code MCATPOD, save $50 on that course and check it out. It's a great course, tons of hours of videos you get access to all of the Next Step material, including all 10 practice tests. You get all of the AAMC material as well. And then the live office hours, which for me 
is what really sets it apart. Go check it out. Again, I have a video review of that course. If you go to mcatcoursereview.com, there's a course review uh, video on YouTube that you can watch. So I hope you had a great episode. I hope this was a great episode for you. I hope to see you again next week here on the MCAT podcast. This is MedEd Media.